Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. concerning our lesson it's in Romans uh, the 12th chapter it's Romans 1 and 2 and what it's going to be talking about is being informed but not transformed and we all know in the age in which we live there is so much information that's presented um, there is so much out there. So what we want to do, we can understand what is being said. It's being informed, but nothing happens by so much information. So let's read Romans 12, and we will read 1 and 2. Paul said, I beseech ye therefore by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you today. God, I love and I praise you. We thank you for what you will do, Lord Jesus. Touch us, holy God, as we look into this holy word, for it is that perfect, Lord, true That'll never change, Lord God. I thank you for what you're going to do. We love you. We praise you. Touch our minds, our hearts, Lord God. Strengthen us, gather us, Lord God, for one role and one purpose, and that is to be affected by this holy word. Thank you for what you're going to do. Touch us, each and every one, Lord God, as we praise and magnify you. Have your way this day. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Some scriptures I want to read um, before we get started with the actual lesson. This is one that we have heard a lot of times. And, and a lot of times when someone comes to this pulpit, he will make the statement that says, let's look into God's word. And I understand that statement. But to me, you know, that is a true statement. Let's look into the word, but that's half the equation. What this word has the ability to do is to look into us. So it's not just coming here and, and, and going through the motions and reading the words. That's why we have been admonished so many times, and it is the truth is not to disengage your mind on something else about next week. If, if a preacher is preaching on 
lying and you're the most truthful person in the world. Do not let the enemy trick you in your mind that he's not talking to me. Because the word has a way of looking into us. And something that you may not think has nothing to do with you. That is when God will take and minister to you exactly what you need. That's why we say, let's look into this word. Because it would do just the same thing to us. So, in this day of information, there is so much presented. And as we go and, and what our children will say, we, um, I have said, and I'm really and truly, and if you know me, you will know this is a true statement. I am not a computer person. It truly amazes me is how much information is out there regarding each individual. Um, I, I, I remember I took my uncle that lives in Clearwater, and I just punched in his name. It gave me his name, his wife's name, and the people that lived in his house and where he lived. And I'm thinking, this is astonishing. You have got to be kidding. And what if you knew someone's social security number? And it's just man. If you're, a th- if you're a thief looking to do something wrong at the information that's just there. But that's looking at it from a negative point. But let me just read a verse that the angel told Daniel. He says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Shall, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, I'm not here to, to debate when this was going to be unsealed. All we know is that the angel told Daniel was to seal this. One thing I do know is that we can speak of how much from Adam up to the 50s knowledge has been and how it has doubled since then and just how much information is out there that we do know. We do not have to speculate concerning that. So that we do know is happening. So The angel said knowledge is going to be increased. But where he told him that knowledge would be increased, when you go back and look up that word knowledge, it means knowledge of me. God is saying, in other words, I do not believe God is saying, I'm going to make it where, guess what the computers will do? I don't believe that for a minute. God is saying, I am going to make myself accessible to whosoever will look into me, will have knowledge of me. And uh, it has been said that many shall run to and fro. A lot lot say, and I'm not saying it's not really 100% that that means travel. I'm saying I don't believe it fully means travel. I believe it means people that are something within them, they are searching for something. Why is spiritualism so rampant in our country? Information is there. Many people are searching. There is something within me that needs to be quenched, and I can't find the reason or the something to quench it. Many is going to be searching. They are searching, and they just can't find the place or the, or the reason or the, uh, the, what they need to do that. So I believe 
that is what God was saying. The knowledge of me, all you have to do is search for me. So he is saying that, and I believe that. Now, the Bible does tell us, and when, when you look all the way back, and I'll read it, the Bible says in Joel, in 2 and 27, it says, And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out of my spirit. And it shall come to pass afterwards. After what? After the, become, after the coming of our God in human flesh. It's just we don't really, sometimes we may forget of the privilege that we have of the area of time that we are living in. We are actually living in the time when these prophecies have been fulfilled. We are living in this area that God has said that I'm going to pour out my spirit upon whosoever would ask. There is no discrimination. There is no holding back. If you seek me, you will find me. And you are in a church there, there is no restrictions. Our pastor does not say, look, I've had, I'm just fed up to this with you and this spiritualness. You will not find that here. Ever how close you want to dwell to God, you can do that. You are not limited how close. You can be as spiritual as you want to be. We don't put a ceiling on spirituality. Ever how much of God you want, you can have. There is no limit on how close you can be to God. The only thing is going to dictate that is the man or woman you look at in the mirror. And that is it. Period. Other than that, you can have as much of God as you want. I promise you, that is not an understatement. God will not limit himself. Literally, when it comes to that, he will not do that. Now, I'm going to read one other verse in the Bible where it says in, let me see, 1 Corinthians. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, if I'm not mistaken, I wish I'd have looked this up, but I'll just say it, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think Paul had three areas that he wanted to address one was the women and their covering two uh, was the communion and three was spiritual gifts spiritual gifts is what I want to speak of right here there's no mistaking he is speaking of spiritual gifts 12 and 1 now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I would not have you ignorant two now that you were Ye know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, that no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, two, 
Know you that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. Paul is saying, some of you allowed yourself to be carried away to idols and worshipped idols. God is saying, and almost in a rebuke way, that could not even speak back to you. How dare you worship an idol that cannot even speak to you? And Paul was telling them, that's why he called them dumb idols. He is saying you are worshiping something you gave yourself to, something that cannot even return a voice unto you. So he says, verse 3, Wherefore I give you to understand that no, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, I would say in my language, now we have a benchmark. And what Paul is saying, we are in the information age. That's why I'll scream it till I die. Watch who you read after. This is a benchmark. No man can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. If I am reading, if I am giving myself to someone and they don't have the Spirit of God, you're giving yourself to them. And Paul said, this is what you have to do. You must judge every gift by the way it relates to Jesus Christ. That is what he is saying. No man, no man can call Jesus Lord but by the Spirit of God. If I call Jesus Lord and I don't have the Holy Ghost, we've got a problem. Paul is saying it. I'm not saying it. Paul is saying it. He's telling the Corinthians, you allowed yourself, you allowed yourself to be led astray unto these idols. Now, do not allow yourself to go to someone to allow a teacher to be over you that has not the Spirit of God. Because they can't do it. They can't call Jesus Lord. If they're calling Jesus Lord, go to the benchmark. Go to the benchmark. This is your proof. This is your test. Use this as a reference point. You, have, you must have this. This will going to be the reference point that you have to do. Now, I'm going to read one more. In Matthew 7, now, I admit this is early. This is probably going to be, some would say, a little harsh. But it's, this is not my words. Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in thy name, and in thy name we have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, according to these words, these were not Christians that lost their way. For you read the passage. They was not Christians. They was not never in the way. Because God said, I never knew you. And if the argument is trying to be made by look what they done, then look at the authority that's in the name of Jesus and the faith of the recipient that is being healed. If someone that's not even a child of God can invoke the name of Jesus 
And Satan himself honored that name with that authority and come out. Look at the authority. So the Lord's going to say, my name was on your lips, but you never put my name in your heart. And then I'm going to tell you that I never knew you. Now, I know that's plain, but I'm telling you, that's what Bible is. We are informations everywhere, and people read everything about everything. It's all about grace, baby. But you read, you look up the word where he says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You look up that word iniquity. It means the condition of one without law. Literally. Some just says lawlessness. But it's the condition of one without law. You just said, I have done all this. You convinced yourself because I've touched this and this happened and I've done this. But you would not put my law in your heart. It is the condition of one without my principles. You would not apply the very thing that you're promoting to yourself. So therefore, I never knew you. We are in the information age. It's everywhere. The false prophets are everywhere telling people everything they want to hear but the truth. That's why Paul said that I say we have a benchmark. We have to judge this according to how they are referencing our God. We are saying you're Jesus only. Let them go with it. I don't care. We reference everything about how they treat our God. And ever how whatever slang they want and whatever thing they do. Our God came in human flesh and robed himself and went back and everything and all authority is given to him. That is why everything must be referenced by Jesus Christ. That is going to happen. Now, this is literally, this is what is going to happen. So, now... Imagine, and this I can relate to, where if you take and you go, just imagine going to the doctor. And you walk in and you just, you're, you're explaining to the doctor and the doctor says, you've went there for a certain ailment. And the doctor says, you know what? I've had what you've had. I know what that's like. Or you have a situation in your life and you have someone you feel you can trust and you're talking to that friend. And they say, you know what? I have went through this myself. The comfort that that brings to us. You're not speaking just to unload yourself. You're speaking to someone that literally understands what it's like to go through what you're going through. And I want you to listen to a verse that the Lord himself quoted. It says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women... There has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I'm telling you, my first response to this is that is unbelievable. 
but I have to guard my tongue. And I can't call God unbelievable. But to my human self, I'm thinking, do I really understand that statement? God took John and went all the way back to the beginning and says there was not a greater prophet than John. But he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Because John was before the covenant. We are after the covenant. So he said, take those who has access to the knowledge, to my spirit dwelling, not on them, but in them, is greater than John. Not that they would do, it's hard for me to explain, but I would put it like this. The attributes and everything and the benefits that we have, I believe, are greater than what John had. For just that itself, what we have is just, is to me, it's just to the point of being literally unbelievable. Now, the Bible says that this word, that's why I said this word, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. It literally is. God said this word, this word is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Now, and he says he was, verse 15 says, In all points he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, one problem, and I said problem, but I don't know if it's really a problem, but one thing I think we forget. That's why I said when we come to church, And it comes in and we hear these verses quoted. We think, we think in human terms. And we come in and and the pastor quotes and says, you know, God knows exactly where you're at and what you're feeling. And John says, we have an advocate with the Father. And what that is, is the flesh. Well, he was crucified, that's 2,000 years ago. No, no, no. We're thinking in human terms. I'm telling you, time does not exist with God. Where it says we have an advocate, it is just like the crucifixion is right now. Where it says, God says, I know what you're feeling. It is literally like the crucifixion is happening right now. There is no time with God. So when we are in something, and the Bible says he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And the Bible says that this book knows the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And you think, God, if you just knew what I was feeling. Believe me, he does. I'm telling you, and John says we have an advocate. That's what the Bible means. We look at it as 2,000 years ago as when the cross. no. Look at it as right now. Time does not exist with our God. Right now is the moment. And I believe it's right now that God can change and touch and heal. And we look at it like it's so long ago that it's so far past. What could, whatever could God do that could relate to me now? That's 2,000 years ago. No, it was not. That's only with us. Time does not exist. 
And I apologize for taking so long. But information, information. We are in the information age. Now, I want to make a statement and I want you to think about it as I go through this lesson. This lesson is informed but not transformed. And in speaking of Judas, now, and I want to relate this to today, but if information or knowledge itself is enough, then Judas would have never been lost. We come into this house, we are so privileged. I'm telling you, if you ever doubt yourself, you go read what I just read to you about John. The least, the smallest, ever how you want to put it, is greater than John. I'm telling you, when we look into the eyes of God, this, we will have no defense. Because God is, I gave you, is awkward, is sometimes weird and bashful and and. As crazy as I get sometimes, I won't be able to use that as an excuse. I just say, God, forgive me. And it's just when we, God has given us every opportunity. And sometimes if I find myself thinking, I have come, I have been exposed to the goodness and the mercies of God and the preaching of God. And I go home thinking that's enough. That's not enough. Then I think to think of Judas, someone that touched, smelled the Lord himself, the God of heaven that robed himself, walked with him and been with him, and then allowed himself to be possessed of the enemy. So I'm telling you, think of that while I speak. If knowledge enough, if knowledge is enough, he would have never been lost. He would have never been lost. So, when it comes to buying in, Judas just hung around. He just went with them. He just goes through the motion, and he's just thinking, here's these other 11. Why can't I do it? And I don't. I've heard those that's even made the statement that I believe Judas was born for this. I do not buy into that. I do not think Judas. And I think, Areas like this, we should be very careful in speculating. And so, I, but I, I personally feel that I do not believe Judas was born for this. I believe Judas made this decision himself. So, and, but, something was in Judas that drove him to do this. Because the Bible tells us that he kept the bag had possession of the money. He was already skimming, as we would say, from the bag. And just so um, how he was put in this position, I don't know. You could, you could say within yourself, why wouldn't the others watching him? And, but that, that, that's all irrelevant. But the thing of it is, if I had the position of one of the 11, I'm telling you, my eyes wouldn't have been on Judas. My eyes would have been on God, just like the rest of them. I would have been following just like John. 
I don't want to see, I don't want to see all the nonsense that's going on. I want to see the glory that's being unfolded right in front of them. I don't want to see everything else. I don't want to see the bickering that's going on and the backbiting and the few dollars that's being taken out of the pot. I want to see the glory that's being manifested right in front of my eyes so I don't throw no stones at them. I don't, I don't. But it may have been just during the early days, it was easy for Judas just to blend in with them because it was just, he was just called, he just went along. And I believe at that point, at that point, somewhere in there, Judas started making his decision. It just... It's just, it was not hard. It was just go along. And then the longer you're in it, the longer you're in it, the more of a commitment is going to have to be made. And then all of a sudden, it's just like the commitment is getting greater. And Judas finally reaches this point where, okay, I could try to blend in or I can just slowly, just on the surface, I can come, I can still wear my suit. I can look the part, but inwardly, I'm not part of them. I'm going to just go through the motions. And apparently that's what he did. That's just what he did. So the Bible says that they, they went to a house. It was a meal fit for a king. And then all of a sudden, they smell something else in the air. So it's actually... Mary coming in, she burst into the room with this bottle of expensive ointment. She anointed the feet of Jesus. She wiped his hair, or she wiped his feet with her hair. Eleven of the disciples, you could say, were impressed. But Judas was not impressed. He is just already starting to show his true colors, as we would say. So he says, why was not this fragrance sold and given to the poor? On the surface, that may sound good. Why wouldn't this? And it was a lot, you know, it was a lot. So, but they knew, the other 11 knew that he didn't care about the poor. This was, this was not, this was just lip service. He didn't care about the poor. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always but me or my flesh, you do, you do not have always. So he is, he's telling them, leave her alone. Now, but this apparently had always been concealed in Judas's heart where he does this. Now, this is the first time apparently that he came out in the open with it. So what he does, something is just being ready to happen. And then he knew that something was fixing to happen. As we would say, Judas knew just enough to be dangerous. He knew just enough to be dangerous. And he knew Christ's mission. He was inclined and informed what was most likely Jesus uh, would be doing. And now, here is something that's truly astonishing to me. Here is Judas handpicked to the Lord. And Judas goes so far that he allowed himself to be possessed of the enemy. And always from a Christian perspective, you know, as Christians, 
you know, we would never, never, ever would want us, we, we would want to say we would do that. But this is one of God's own hand-picked disciples. So I would not be arrogant enough to say that I would never let that happen to me. I would only say, by the grace of God, I pray that would never happen to me. I pray I could stay sensitive enough to God's Holy Spirit that I would never, ever give in, catch myself before something ever, ever got that severe. But he took, a few days later, it was Passover, the Last Supper was ready, and Jesus made this statement. He said that one of his closest followers was going to betray him, but Judas' own words betrayed him. For you read in the Bible, 11 of the disciples said, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? But Judas is the only one that said master. And master here is teacher. So here within itself, Judas wouldn't even call him Lord. He calls him teacher. So his own words betray him. Now, after meeting with the members of the Sanhedrin, they agreed on a price. Jesus, uh, Judas led them to the garden where he knew Jesus would be praying. Thirty pieces of silver, the Bible says he took on the form of a servant and was sold for the price of a slave. What Mary anointed the feet of Jesus was, was 300 uh, pieces uh, or 300 dinar and then... 30 pieces of silver is the equivalent of 120 dinar, is what I could find out. So for 120 dinar, he sold the Lord out for just the price of a slave. And that is what I have always tried to admonish when I'm talking to someone that has any kind of twinkle in their eye of looking anywhere else. Go back to the account of Judas where he finally came to his senses where he went back to the Sanhedrin and says you know like it's when the realization come in to what he had done and they just said what is that to us in other words we got what we wanted what you do with it from here on We don't care. What is that to us? So he sold the Lord out for just the price of a slave. He did this. So now, what does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in the 21st century context? I believe it means the same thing it always has meant. It's just this book, that's why I said it, it was not written to a a certain people of a time frame, that is a good thing about it. Time to us, people change, society can change, but this word doesn't change. It stays the same, and that is truly, truly a benefit for us because uh, the ones that we love, um, I hate to say you can be betrayed by your closest, but it's possible. That's why we need, 
We need something that we know will never change. Something that can anchor us. Something that we can put our hands on. And that's why I have literally picked up my Bible before and said, put your hands on something that'll never change. There's so much information out there. But why go to something that you're not sure about? Put your hands on something that won't lead you wrong. That you can hold. That you can look into and that will literally look into you and have that you can do this. Now, when we literally, the Bible talks about when we're purchasing something of value, we should know what it cost. The Bible talks about that. And the Lord was not intolerant of would-be followers when he was concerned about what they would have a, a personal inconveniences that they was about the price of being a disciple. The Bible talks about in the end of Luke 9, one enthusiast said that he would follow, but Jesus read his heart and said, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Now, it's been said, apparently this man wanted to know if the Lord was going to build him a house. That would be his concern. The second seeker, the masters just said, follow me. The seeker's request was to go home and bury his father. On the surface, it sounded reasonable. But this would be a type of disciples who was overzealous, overcautious. But literally, there is always going to be family issues. There's always going to be life issues. There's always going to be, life is always going to present something. I'm telling you, it is. It is. We live in the now. We live in the present. And life has something going 24-7. It does. And then he just said uh, like this. Jesus replied, a third one just said, wanted to follow the Lord and the Lord just said it like this in plain language no man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God now in all of these cases it just seems like they're unreasonable but they're not God was just saying there's always going to be logical human reason for us while we Cannot, should not, and it's just fully following now. There's always going to be life is going to be throw out something. And it's just, well, you know, I got to deal with this right now. God is going to say, what's more important? And he says, truly us living in a rural, uh, rural area, he just said, look at the man that puts his hand to the plow. And God said, looks behind him, but you don't even have to look behind you. If you're out plowing a garden and you look over here, <laughs> man, you you go up to a garden and 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 the guy's telling you he he plows straight rows, and, and you're walking up there and you want to walk like this, but Bubba, what happened? You know, apparently, you know, and God is saying. That's what he was like. He was liking it to something that they fully understood. When you put your hands to the plow, you must pick a point, and that you must focus on. And the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's just a simple illustration that we all can relate to. And that's why he said, 
If a man puts his hand to the plow and looks behind him, he's not fit. You can't do both. You know, he didn't give us two eyes, one to watch him and one to whirl. He just said, you must stay focused. And that's why, that's why he said in all three of these, I must be your focus. I must be your focus. He admonished the followers at Rome. Paul did, as we read, that you must present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, they knew exactly what he was speaking of when he said a living sacrifice. They thinking back to the Old Testament. Once that sacrifice in the Old Testament, once that sacrifice was made, it became the property of God. It was God's property, that sacrifice. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. All of that meant is that this is a process just as if, you know, this has not come in a one-time deal as much as you could come in or as much as you're at home or as, as, as anointed or as much as God could touch you. This is not a one-time deal. This is a renewing of the Holy Ghost. So as hungry, that's why I said as full as you may get tomorrow, guess what? You're going to need to be nourished again. And that's why I said we live in 24-hour cycles. And our spiritual man is the same. That's why it is a renewing of the mind. And it has been said so much, especially in the age that we live in, that there's so many things that are trying to get our mind, to pull our mind in different ways. That's why he said that we must, we must do this. We must take and renew our minds. That's why Paul is saying that we must present our bodies as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Give ourselves to the Lord. Now, allow ourselves to be transformed, committed. We have to do that. Our society, you know, one that we live in, you, you could talk about everything, how it's going and what it's doing, and, and I'm not here to do all of that. All I know is that what God has given us, everything he's given us, everything, the privileges that he's given us, it's all for our benefit to help us each and every day for the renewing that he has given us. We have now, he said to take and to do this, literally, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Now, the only way to prove something is to test it. <laughs> I remember one of my sons, <laughs> I won't call his name, but, man, I remember when Sister Rayleigh used to be in there with him and... I, you know, I, I've told you this, and I, I'm telling you, I I had a little time with it because he would be in there, I can't do this, I, I, I don't want to do this. And they was a part of me that just wanted to go in there and just say, you know what, enough. 
enough, you know. And thankfully, that didn't win out, but I come to my senses. But I, I would talk to him as a child, and I would say, a test is for one purpose, and that is to prove that you know this material. And this material is going to be a help to you. And But I'm telling you, they was something that was in me is just, I wanted to go stop it. But the Bible says we must prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And if I find myself, you know, as I, I was just talking to Brother Roll, I said, you know, this is a comfort to us where the Bible says, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. If I turn this inward, I've done wrong. I've done wrong. I ain't being picked on. This is just common to man. God is helping us. He's given us everything we need. There is so much information. We have what we need. Everything we need, God has given us. And with everything that's out there, just all the information that God has provided and given us, just do not forget that this word, when nothing makes sense, that's why I say go to the closet, take this book, and see what God has to say about it. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Take a minute. Enjoy one another's company. Hallelujah. Thank you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.